after Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Well, hi, Vancouver. My name is Steve Brading. I'm speaking from my home in Sussex. And it's uh, great to speak with you again. It was wonderful to be with you a year and a half ago. And uh, Reese has asked me recently if I would just um, bring a short message to you during this strange time of coronavirus. So that's what I'm going to do. Now, God has put on my heart um, a very familiar passage. I'm going to read it to you. It's in Acts chapter 2. From verse 1, it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Well, this is the classic passage known as Pentecost, and it is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise in Acts chapter 1, when his last sermon to them before he ascended into heaven was this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, my question is, what on earth was in the disciples' thinking and understanding when Jesus said to them, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? You see, they didn't have 2,000 years of church history, some good, some not so good like we have. They were just about to make church history. They only had two frames of reference. They had number one, the Old Testament scriptures, and number two, they'd been with Jesus for three years they had the ministry of Jesus. So let's look at these two things. Number one, then, the Old Testament Scriptures. You know, when we read in the Old Testament Scriptures about the work of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the Spirit is the Hebrew word ruach, which is translated either wind, breath, or spirit. These words are interchangeable. And when we read about the working of the ruach of God, the wind, the breath, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament... It is invariably with powerful demonstrations of power, sometimes almost scary. Let me give you some examples. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1, when there's been a flood, it says God sent a wind, the ruach, the wind of the Spirit of God, to dry up all the known flood waters. Some powerful wind, some mighty wind to dry up all the flood waters, the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God, the wind of God. Again, we see in Exodus chapter 14, when Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they're faced with the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptian army pressing up behind. And we're told that Moses stretched out his hand over the Red Sea, And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. He parted the sea on the left and on the right with a strong wind, which is the Ruach of God, carved a pathway through the sea so that the children of Israel could pass through. The wind of God, 
the Ruach of God, a mighty, mighty demonstration of power. And then we come on to individuals in the book of Judges. And judges were renowned for the anointing of the Spirit of God. Now, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it wasn't just to give them a, a tingle in the spine or just to uh, cheer them up a little bit, but it was to make them become men and women of war, not against one another, but against the powers and oppressing forces of darkness of the day. So, for example, in Judges chapter 3, we read of Othniel, where the land was oppressed by Mesopotamia, and um, they saw the enemy pressing in at every angle, and the people cried to God, and God raised up for them Othniel, a deliverer. And we're told that the spirit, the rock of God, came on Othniel so that he became Israel's judge, and he went to war. He went to war against the powers of day, against Mesopotamia, to see a great victory. And when he won a great victory, that the land had rest for 40 years because of Othniel bringing this great deliverance. Then we see another character, a very weak, feeble, frail individual, a man called Gideon. In his own estimation, he's the least one to qualify in Israel. He's hiding in a wine press because he's scared stiff um, of the Midianites. They used to come into the um, valley and they would ransack the land every so often. They'd rape the women, they'd steal the wine, they'd steal the grain. And Gideon's fed up with it all. And he's crying out to God. Angel of the Lord appears to him, rather humorously says, And the Lord is with you, you valiant warrior. And... Uh, Gideon, after a little bit of complaint and murmuring, um, he sort of ums and ahs, and the angel says that God's going to use you to deliver Israel. And we're told later on in verse 34 that the rack of God came on him and absolutely transforms him. He blows a trumpet, gathers an army of 32,000, which gets whittled down to 300. And with these 300, they go and see a mighty victory against Midian of 120,000 encamped in the valley. Actually, Gideon never even had to fight in the battle. All he did was to blow his trumpet with the 300. They shone their lights and the enemy came out of their tent. They were so confused that they killed one another while Gideon with his army just looked on. It's a little hint here that when the church come together under the anointed leadership and under the unction and power of the Holy Spirit, that the enemy gets very, very confused and in the end slays one another and we end up mopping up for Jesus in a powerful, powerful way. Let me encourage you in Vancouver to really pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit more and more and more. I was thrilled to see God's Spirit being poured upon you in such a way. It's so he will give you great breakthrough um, with people in Vancouver and way beyond. So we see with Othniel, great breakthrough, a man of war. We see with Gideon, he becomes a man of war. We see also another one, a favorite character of mine, Samson, a real yobbo. And rather humorously, the Bible tells us one day he was going to Timnah and a young lion came roaring towards him. At that moment, the rock of God 
the wind of God, the spirit of God came on Samson in power. So he tore the lion apart as one would tear up a little kid goat. I know you don't do that sort of thing in Vancouver, <laughs> but Samson did it. He tore this lion apart. And uh, that was because of the Ruach of God. Another occasion, he killed a thousand um, of the enemy, the Philistines, with the jawbone of a donkey because the Ruach of God, the power of God, had come mightily upon him. He became a man of war who went to war against the Philistines. And so we see Othniel, we see Gideon, we see Samson anointed by the Ruach of God and powerfully going against the forces of uh, darkness in their day. We also see King David. We know how Israel were oppressed again by the Philistines. And the man who represented the Philistines was this great, massive, giant um, Goliath and breathing his threats and murder against Israel day after day and we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that Samuel the prophet came to David and anointed him with a flask of oil over his head and to be the future king and we're told also in Samuel that the kings were anointed to lead people into victory against their enemies so Samuel is anointed in front of his brothers to be the future king in 1 Samuel 16 in 1 Samuel 17, here David is going out against the powers of darkness of day, of the day, Goliath. And he overthrows Goliath and sees amazing, amazing victory won for God. That's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, actually, who's won the master victory against the powers of darkness. And we're like the... Um, the people of Israel who run in behind his victory and mop up, do the mopping up. So we see the anointing of the Spirit of God coming on Othniel, coming on Gideon, coming on Samson, coming on David, overthrowing the powers of darkness. We also, this is in the Old Testament, we also see um, under the prophets, we see we could turn to many places in the prophets. For example, we could turn to the prophet Ezekiel, which speaks about the Holy Spirit giving to us a new power, a new start, a new power, a new heart. That's what he's going to do. Zechariah says this, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. But the passage that I want to turn to uh, particularly is this one. It's from the prophet Isaiah. And I'll show this significance in a minute. But in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, it says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, the Ruach of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. This is a wonderful passage speaking about the Ruach of God, the anointing of God. And it prophetically speaks about Jesus, that there's going to be one who comes, who's going to preach 
good news to the poor, going to bind up the brokenhearted, heal the sick, set the captives free, proclaim the year of God's favour. And this brings us on to the ministry of Jesus, which is the other thing the disciples had to go on. They had the Old Testament scriptures, but they also had the ministry of Jesus. Because there was a day, a very ordinary day in many ways, when Jesus on the Sabbath went to his synagogue, as was the custom, we're told in Luke chapter 4. And they came to Jesus and they said, oh, Jesus, lovely to have you with us today. And why don't you bring the reading? They gave to him the prophet Isaiah. Now, Jesus could have turned anywhere in Isaiah. He could have turned to Isaiah 6. He could have turned to Isaiah 53. But he turns to Isaiah 61 and he reads this very passage. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim the year of God's favour, to heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim God's favour. And when he'd finished, he gave the scroll back to the attendant. He sat down, which is what the rabbis used to do when they taught. We stand up when we teach. They sat down. He sat down to teach and he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, when the people heard that, they murmured. And they said, isn't this uh, Joseph? Isn't this the carpenter's boy? Don't we know, um, uh, isn't this the son of Joseph and uh, Mary's son? Don't we know this? Uh, don't we know this sort of guy? Hasn't he been around here for a long time? And actually, they started to murmur about Jesus. And they actually drove him out. And Jesus said this, a prophet is not without honour except in his own country. They drove him out, tried to push him over the cliff, but Jesus walked through their very midst. When he walked through their midst, he was encountered by a demonised person. And Jesus immediately cast the demon out. And the man comes to peace of mind. From there he goes on. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He speaks good news to the poor. He proclaims the year of God's favour. He comforts all who mourn. He heals. He delivers. He sets free. It is the ministry of Jesus. And the disciples are with him watching this and taking part because he also encouraged them and led them into it as well. They saw this for a period of three years. Now, after three years, they saw Jesus crucified. And then they'd been witnesses to the resurrection. Jesus risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Overthrew the principalities and powers and made a public example of them. He triumphed over them by his death and resurrection and he's alive forevermore. Hallelujah. And then, as he's risen from the dead, he leads his disciples out to the mount. And his last sermon to them, before he goes and ascends into heaven, is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What on earth did they expect? 
just to say one or two words in tongues, just to have a little tingle? Oh, no. They expected far more than that. They expected to do the works of Jesus. They expected to see miracles. They expected advance. They expected to become mighty men of war, like Samson and Gideon and Othniel and David, to press back the powers of darkness. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Acts. We see this small group of people under the unction and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit moving ahead and seeing deliverance, healing, people raised from the dead, churches formed, people saved, people convicted. Peter, who was a scared kitten, preaches on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people are gripped, so gripped with awe and fear of God. They cry out, what do we need to do to get saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of the sins, of your sins, and you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see the gospel spread. And my friend, that's exactly what's meant to happen in our day that God wants to anoint us with power so that we see the forces of darkness. That is, we see sickness overthrown. We see people saved into the kingdom of God. We see people who've been enslaved to bad tempers and to, oh, I don't know, drugs, pornography, whatever it is. We see them set free by the power of the living God. We see marriages restored. We see people who are in bondage to their own sin and who are desperate and dying and crippled up, and we see them set free by the power of God. You know, where I live in Hassocks is a beautiful part of the world, and down the road there's a, a very friendly man, and recently, during this COVID time, he had to go into hospital, and um, he was very, very, very nervous, very scared, because they discovered he had cancer. And I wrote to him, spelling out the gospel to him and what he needed to do to get saved. He sent a text back to me. I sent my message by text. He sent a text saying, I'm not really sure that I'm ready for this, Steve, one day. And I prayed and said, Lord, I, I, I think I've probably overdone it with David at this stage. And then the next day, he sent a text and said, Steve, I've prayed through every step of your text telling me how to become a Christian. David has now found a new peace in his life. He's been delivered from the fear that was gripping his life. He's read through Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, Luke's Gospel. He's read through John's Gospel. He's on the Alpha course. He's found a new peace in his life. And when I talk about the power of the Holy Spirit moving against the enemies of the day. It's the enemy which blinds people to the gospel. It's the enemy that which keeps people in bondage in their marriages. And God wants us to bring the gospel, the good news <clears throat> of the kingdom of God in the power of the Holy Spirit and see people set free. God will give to us words of knowledge. He'll give to us the gift of tongues. He'll give to us and his ability to move in signs and wonders and in words of knowledge to bring the kingdom of God in. 
We need to read through the book of Acts. It's a wonderful, wonderful um, book to read through. Now let me give you a little um, testimony of my own. I've been saved now for over 40 years. When I was at Southampton University in England in 1970, I, was, I got saved and they asked me if I'd get baptised. To be honest, I was a little nervous of getting baptised because I thought it's a little bit embarrassing standing in front of people, telling them about my inner life, my sins and how I've become a Christian. I felt surely it's just a, um, something you keep personal. And yet I knew God was speaking to me to get baptised. So I decided to get baptised. Well, a week before I was, got baptised, I was praying in my study and suddenly the presence of God came so real to me, so powerful for, to me. And I suddenly found myself speaking in another tongue. I knew it wasn't me. I struggled with English half the time, let alone another language. And uh, suddenly I found myself speaking in another language. And it was just flowing out of me. And then my reading for the day, I looked at my reading for the day, and it was this very passage from Acts chapter 2, what we read. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was a new joy inside of me. There was a new peace inside of me, a new assurance that I was known by God and loved by God. But there was something else. There was a new boldness about telling others about Jesus and standing up and being counted. And I've been like that ever since. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit comes upon us for two reasons. Number one, so that we can live the Christian life and glorify Jesus. But number two, so that we do the works of Jesus, extend the kingdom of God, and we see the powers of darkness push back. And I mean seeing men and women saved into the kingdom of God. That's seeing the powers of darkness push back in one person's life, maybe two, maybe in a family. We see people healed. We see people saved, delivered, and coming to know Jesus as their King and their Lord. God bless you. It's wonderful to be with you and chat with you today. And Reese is going to lead you in a time of prayer, asking God to come and powerfully meet you, powerfully fill you with his Spirit, so that you too become witnesses in Vancouver, Canada, and to the ends of the earth. God bless you. Steve Brading.